Hi, everybody. Dave Hodges here. Thanks for staying with us in the guest segment. As you know, we are the Common Sense Show, the show that is freeing America, one enslaved mind at a time. And we have a terrific guest for you here today, Celeste Salam, and she used to work with FEMA, and I'll let her tell you about her background in detail. It's very impressive. And we're going to be discussing about how we got to be I don't know what we call it, prison nation, where we're all locked down, and the inherent dangers that are involved in this and things we need to watch out for. And I might push her a little bit for what kind of solutions should we be looking at to get ourselves out of this mess. But before we join Celeste, I wanted to let you know there's some people that keep the lights on for us here. One is our storable food company, and unlike a lot of our competitors, they did not sell out to the government. They did not raise prices one time. In fact, we had a pre-sale in January and on the four week and two week packages and they kept them the same. They haven't changed at all. So it's great restaurant quality, 25 year shelf life. Go to preparewithdave.com and see everything there is to know about this product and you're gonna say this is the best there is because this is not the time to mess around. You really need to get your storable food in order. And if you need food, you need water. And we have the Alexa Pure Pro water filter. And if you go to waterwithdave.com, you're going to see the research, not testimonials, but research that's there. And it's going to tell you, hey, this is why this is better than all the rest. And they're offering a 40% off sale. I'm kind of shocked by this, really, given the time and the scarcity. But go to waterwithdave.com. You got the food and the water. Preparewithdave.com, waterwithdave.com. And now we got Celeste, but we don't put .com after that. Celeste Salam is our, is our gracious guest. And we're going to be talking about the mess we're in and things that most of you will never have even thought about. And so, therefore, what I want to do is bring Celeste in. Celeste, welcome to the show. I'm really glad you could bring it. Uh, excuse me. Really glad you could join us. And um, let's just start with we're under an emergency provision from the World Health Organization. And our government swallowed this lock, stock, and barrel. Yes. Um, so, as you know, um, the coronavirus began in China, but the wor- I, I knew uh, just because of my training that this was going to go global. So I was bracing for the impact, as they say. And so it wasn't too long uh, after the outbreak that the World Health Organization declared it uh, coronavirus, the novel coronavirus, um, and an international emergency. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, the White House uh, made a statement that they were uniting with the World Health Organization and that they were declaring the novel coronavirus um, an emergency for the United States. And what they said was very interesting words during that announcement to the American people was that they were operationalizing. So operationalizing means that they had plans laying in wait, um, and we're going to be discussing some of those plans, and part of that was global government, part of that was um, the military structure for dealing with an emergency and so they were operationalizing that they were bringing it to life it was no longer just a dusty um plan on a shelf someplace or a dusty computer Um, it was coming to life and then um, as things progressed this was 
day after day, and I'm sure the listeners realize that every single day you wake up and it's something new. Um, it's not status quo. This is a very fluid operation. And so what we basically have been experiencing is a soft martial law. And both you and I wrote um, a few years back, um, I guess you in 2014, and I wrote it in 2016 about medical martial law and um, health through health and human services. It was an 88-page document that was put in the Federal Register on mm-hmm. August 15, 2016. It went into effect um, October 15, 2016, where it lay in wait. And it actually, it, in this 88 pages, it actually metriced out and even discussed the coronavirus and it talked about Zika and Ebola also and how much it would cost economically to the United States um, if this plan was to go active or operationalized. And now that's what we have found is that it is operationalized. Are you referring to the document I call the FS number eight, which included HHS with UN assistance? No, this is actually um, different. Um, the ESF-8, so under the um, national uh, framework, emergency framework, um, there are many ESFs. You know, you're going to have one for mass casualties, um, volcanoes, uh, law enforcement, um, they deal the food, um, infrastructure, just different things. So health and human services is the lead agency in ESF-8, but there are many ESFs in the National Response Plan. Okay, yeah, okay, that's that's kind of what I've learned through the years. Uh, and as you look at this, does this relate to at all what you did in your background working for FEMA? Yeah, so I did quite a bit in a plans. Actually, I was developing a template to get all the assets into the database at the time. We were transitioning from paperwork to computers and databases and um, entering the modern age. So, yes, I was very, I've designed plans. I've participated and I couldn't even tell you how many um, exercises. And so that's I'm quite experienced with plants. So that's how you know where to look for all this and things like the Federal Register. Because I've watched a number of your YouTube videos and you just cut right to the chase and go to the heart of the matter with your documentation. So this is old hat for you. Okay, so as we pick this up, um, we're dusting off old plans and putting them into play for today. Should the average American be concerned? I mean, are we, I mean, is this going to be a continuation of of the violation of our constitutional liberties, life back to normal, rescuing the economy? I mean, is all lost under these provisions? So the interesting thing is, is once they brought these plans to life, then we started one day, um, it was, so President Trump spoke and then he handed it over. It was like within the first couple days of when the president had turned over the coronavirus um, issue to Vice President uh, Pence. And Vice President Pence, um, I was listening, 
And he said, for the health, safety, and I can't remember if he said welfare or well-being. Those are interchangeable words. That is called an emergency clause. And anybody in politics, lobbying, the government, and the military knows that this is code for suspending the Constitution of the United States. And so then people started, I did a video on it, and they, people started to become aware. And they go, oh, yeah, they're speaking in code, and they could pick it up. It's very easy to, to do it once you know the code that they're, they're speaking. And then they got creative because the word was out that they were using the emergency clause and that they had suspended the Constitution of the United States. And so what they did is... Like one person would start the emergency clause and another person would finish the emergency clause. And then another time um, they started the emergency clause at the beginning of a speech and then at the end of the speech they used the emergency clause. But basically what they are using is a Roman phalanx. And if you're familiar with that, it was a, mm -hmm. it was a strategical type of thing where the Roman soldiers were all interlocked and acting as one unit. So it doesn't matter if the emergency clause was started by one person and finished by another person or started at the beginning of this person's speech and ended you know, later on in the speech. It is one unit, and that's what people need to understand. That it doesn't negate the fact um, that the Everyone was saying the president said those words, suspending the emergency clause, suspending the Constitution. The vice president said the emergency clause, suspending the Constitution. The World Health Organization lady, I don't know her name, um, used the emergency clause and suspended the Constitution from the global perspective. And Fauci um, also used the emergency clause, suspending the Constitution and governors, this is not only a global and federal thing, governors also began using the emergency clause for their own states and suspending their own state constitution. So it's very insidious, very dangerous. Well, just the giveaway of the country. So, yes. I mean, I'm sure that you've looked at motive because let me just share with you my perspective, then I'll let you just take this apart, okay? Because I'm coming at it as a layman. And so the way I see it is we're going to lose more lives with this total shutdown and people not getting the proper health care they need, the stopping of the economy and all that's going to lead to malnutrition, everything else that spins off of that. We're going to kill more people doing that than if we did what Brazil, Sweden, and now today Austria are doing by going back to normal. So then if this isn't really the motivation and these... Um, uh, all these draconian enforcements we're seeing have nothing to do with virus transmission. What What is going on here? I mean, from, from your perspective, knowing how these people think and act, what's going on? So back when I was working in plants, one of the things that I was doing is trying to look at some way that they could be exploited um, to undermine that system, uh, a global government, global governance, global fascism, whatever you want to say. And I could not, I mean, it was so deep even at that time that I could not, I could not see any way to breach it. And so what happened is, like, I think it was the second 
to the third week in January, the World Economic Forum um, had their annual Davos conference in Switzerland. And for some reason, I just, you know, I make the rounds of where I check um, for information. And what I saw just dropped my jaw to the floor. And it was this visual of coronavirus with lots of tentacles. Just imagine like an octopus on steroids with millions of or the worst B science fiction movie you ever saw, um, tentacles affecting every single aspect of society. Um, and they were purposely bringing the earth, the globe, society to a stop to inject the global governance program. And that's kind of where we are right now. Um, we're in the middle of that insertion. And what they want to do is make people really miserable um things are going to get a lot as the president says they're going to get a lot worse before they get better and people will then clamor for any little bit of normalcy or what they remember as normal uh they will latch on to that and that's what they're banking on that we will accept voluntarily whatever we're given on the other side of the coronavirus and what if we dis rediscover our soul and our common sense and we say no and heck no? What do you think they'll follow up with? Um, so there are contingencies in that for that. And that's been um, in play. There's frequencies. I'm sure that you're familiar. Uh, you know, frequency and what it can do to biological systems is not new. No. I I like to go back to the dosimetric uh, manual by the Air Force and the listeners can look that up, get the oldest one you can find and it will tell you exactly what frequency to blow up a heart or interfere with the kidneys or make someone's skin itch or burn or mess with somebody's brain where they're seeing things. So we're going to start seeing um police powers, we're going to start seeing a hard martial law as we go forward. Um, we might get some respites in between um, to kind of diffuse uh, any resistance. But quite frankly, I'm really expecting if there is a large rise in resistance, that the power will be cut, the internet will be cut, and our communication will be cut. And then we will also be under this you can't go out of your house order, so we will be um, not allowed to assemble to resist, like in a protest or or take, you know, start a militia or whatever. Oh, my. This is um, a nightmare that's encroaching right now, and it, it's not like people have to wait for this to come. As Steve Quayle once told me recently, he said, what's coming is no longer coming. It's already here. And that's what I think I'm hearing from you with regard to martial law. Uh, people, you know, I'm going to use my own feedback I get from people that follow my work. There's a rise of resistance against these um, um, unrelenting restrictions that seem to be out of place for the threat. Um, where, where do you see, do you think the people are going to rise up and will they immediately respond with these frequencies? Do you think we, we have a confrontation coming in the near future? Yes, um, I do. 
and I believe that the global governance, um, whoever they are behind the curtain, are also aware that there will be resistance, and that is one reason that they want to take down um, our comms and our power. Yeah, but I think that would heighten it. To me, um, I just have a theory. Gee, I just think this might happen, as John Q. Public says, and I'm, I'm starting to listen to these so-called conspiracy theorists, and they're making sense to me. And then one day, everything is gone. That's going to send me into the street. Because here's the Celeste, you particularly, and me secondarily, we deal with this stuff every day. Not much surprises me. So my zero to 60 meter, where I'll just go ballistic, is very slow. But to the average person who just gets introduced to this and realizes that everything's not straight and then all your communications goes away, their zero to 60 meter, I think, is going to be very rapid and we're going to see massive people in the streets. I mean, that's that's my projection. So there's a couple ways that people respond. Um, and one thing that I was taught at FEMA, and it really is, I've tested it in other sectors besides just government, um, so, but 3% of the people will do something consistently. 7% of people will do something once or twice, uh, maybe like write a congressman on a, a particular issue or something like that. But 90% of people will do nothing, even though it means the death of themselves and their loved ones. Wow. And that really is the cold, bare, hard facts. Do you attribute that? I have a mental health therapy background by, by nature. I used to treat people. I've taught psychology courses and research courses at the university level. So I'm going to go back to my background for a second and bring in a couple of questions for you along these lines. The construct you're talking about, would that have anything to do with the cognitive dissonance that we run into? I mean, people just don't want to believe it, so they hide under the bed. Or are there other psychological factors there that keep people paralyzed to where they won't act in their own defense? Um, I, I think there is that normalcy bias or the cognitive dissidence. Um, but you know what was interesting is right after they operationalized the plan in the United States, what was the first thing that they did? I think you're going to find this fascinating. Well, besides the media blitz? No, before that, they rolled out a whole mental health program and oh, they declared yeah. that Americans did not have the capability to endure a disaster. And they were very vague at that point. They didn't really name the disaster. Um, and coronavirus, you know, we've heard a lot about viruses. They come, they go, you know. So, but they rolled out this whole mental health program that we are all mentally ill. We're unable to um, deal with this situation. So we need the savior government and uh, the health and human services to run our life. Well, I agree we need a savior, but not that savior. I agree also. <laughs> and um, I, I look at this and I have to say, you know, we had a revolution in America with 3%, but we weren't facing drones, artificial intelligence, Project Harp. I mean, the other side has a lot of advantages that our forefathers did not face. So is there anything in the short term that people can do 
to throw a monkey wrench in this or are the numbers of resistance just too small to make a difference? I don't know that we can mobilize a large group of people, but what we can do, and I've been saying this for a couple years now, is we can retain our spiritual heritage, uh, don't give it up. Um, we can retain our humanity, do acts of kindness. I don't care if we're facing this big bug or not. Be kind to your neighbor. Call up. See, you know, if you're, whatever your gift is, if you're gifted in making food, maybe you can take a meal to a neighbor or something like that. In this way, we do throw a monkey wrench into it because they believe that global governance people basically assume we live in a post-human world, that we're going to adopt this, um, you know, fusing of humanity into machine, and then eventually the humans are just going to be out of there. Uh, they actually want to kill this generation off. Um, I don't know if you heard about this, but under the COVID, they, there are uh, pregnant women that are going in to deliver their babies, and they put them under saying that they've got this or that. And then when they come to, they say that their baby died, and they ask to see their baby, and they can't see their baby because of COVID. Um, and so there's, you know, it's plausible deniability. You know, they're saying you can't see your dead infant. That does a lot of damage to a mother. Um, but what they want in this next 10 years, they want to eradicate and reduce the population as much as they can because in their plans in 2030 will be the first 100% engineered humans that are augmented and enhanced. So they are not going to be people like you and me. They may even be soulless um, because I don't know to what extent that is yet. Um, mm -hmm. So starting now, starting in 2020, you're going to see this get rid of the old people, get rid of the newborns because they don't want to have any stragglers. They want a, a clean slate, so to speak which is why they're not treating the elderly when they come down with TV-19. Yes. That fits and right then, into that philosophy. And then the older people have a lot of wisdom that they can mentor and train up young people, and they, don't, they want those skill sets and that independence um, and the knowledge that we have gone and erased. How draconian are the enforcements going to be against any kind of... Uh, negative speak against the new order yeah are these uh quarantine camps that i know are coming and i i, I talk to people in federal law enforcement they're coming um are they meant for you and me or are they really quarantine camps so the plan has been for some time that only um if it, if it is really truly a virus situation there might be some like quarantine type thing but um, knowing the plans that I know, it was always the case that that camps, unlike World War II in concentration camps, were only short term. Uh, they don't really need humans anymore. They've got robotics. They've got synthetic humans coming on board called mm -hmm. synths. 
so they don't really need a large population to do manufacturing and all this. So basically, you're either re-educatable and to fit and plug in, but you have to agree to the ideology of the state. And if you do not believe in the ideology of the state, then um, you will be killed. How do they plan to carry out this genocide without having vast resistance? So there's two different, um, so they have a, what they call a stamping out manual. This is in the UN, and they have, and I've been writing um, also about it in the last couple of years. So scientists have been, and the UN, together collaborating, have decided that gassing, as what we saw in China as a response to the coronavirus and is what is happening in Dubai and is about ready to happen here in the United States is a humane method of, um, of disposing of a person. The other is by the guillotine. And I've wrote, written extensively on that, and Steve has carried those articles. So have I. Yeah. Wow. When I was writing about them, I wrote about the evidence that was appearing but there was a part of me, my cognitive dissonance, that didn't want to think this would really come to fruition. It was just a plan that was there, but would never be acted on like a book you don't take off the shelf. And, uh, and that's why I listen, you're shocking me, but I'm not hearing anything I haven't heard. I just never thought it would be operationalized, not the way that it is. Um, so are they going to gas entire communities? I mean, how, how is that going to work? Do you, can you explain the operational details at all? So in... So what we saw in China, there were trucks, there were aircraft, there were drones, all with gas. Um, I believe also that the nanoparticles and smart dust have payloads. They can be spirit, they can be ga the gas, they can be chemicals, they can be biologicals, they can be explosives. And um, they can, with frequencies, either activate those nanoparticles that are saturated in everything. It's in our water, in our air, in our food, in the forests, in the animals, you know, it's everywhere. We really, without, when you look at what's arrayed against us, I just praise the Lord that we're even here, you know, because there is a lot, they've put a lot of time and effort into this. Um. I'm going to share with you a quick story because I want you to kind of take this and run with it. Back in 2012, it was my final year as a college basketball coach at the college I was also teaching at. And um, I had a friend from FEMA that I met the previous decade, and we hung out together, did a lot of things together. He and his wife showed up at my office on campus and were waiting for me when I walked when I walked into the area. And we went out, and he did, he wouldn't talk around cell phones, and he told me he was bugging out. And his specialty was counter bioterrorism. And this is how I met him because I was a first responder volunteer on my campus before FEMA came in and took over the program. And um, we uh, walked around the football field until one o'clock in the morning. And he told me he had to bug out because he knew too much about the weaponry they had and how they were going to unfold it. And I said, Well, what's the trigger event? Now, this is 2012. Obama's won his second term or about ready to win his second term against a weak candidate, Mitt Romney. And I said, what do they have to worry about? We got four more years of Obama coming up. And he said, 
because the American people are still rising up in their resistance. He said, populism is what they want to wipe out. And he said, I know too much. And I've had people come to me from both my agency and other agencies, and we've built kind of a survivalist community. And he said, we're bugging out to that before the poop hits the fan. And I said, what's the trigger time for this? And he said, I think 2016. And we didn't talk about Hillary, but that would have coincided with her becoming the president. And uh, he told me, he said, Dave, it's coming. It's just a matter of when. He said, the more resistance that the people put up, the quicker it's going to come and the more complete it will be. And I need to get out of town because I'm like the proverbial brown shirt. Can you analyze what I just told you and, and run with that a little bit? So back in 1999, the Association of Tropical Diseases, I might not have that exactly right, or Association of Tropical Diseases, it's medical. It's medical professionals that deal with tropical diseases held a conference in uh, Key West, Florida, and they did, uh, their theme song was Jimmy Buffett's Changes in Attitudes, Changes in Latitudes. Um, and this was in 1999, ushering in the new world order um, through tropical diseases. So I knew, you know, that that was already the game plan. And like I said, what I had heard about camps, whenever that came up in the context of where I work, they basically said, well, there's going to be a bio and there's going to be lots of dead bodies and they will be used as vectors to infect the rest of the healthy bodies. So there's not going to really be any need for a camp. That was kind of what was said. Wow. And how do they get Trump to go along with this? So I voted for President Trump. Um, it was much better than Hillary Clinton. Yes. Um, but I had... I have been, uh, no, I can't say that word. I have been observing him. Um, and he was very, uh, like, fast-tracking revelation-type and prophetic-type technologies. And that was very alarming to me. So, yes, he did some good things in one hand, but behind closed doors, he was doing some very dangerous things. Um, and promoting that and fast tracking it like right now like there is there's a lot of money and there are no uh, checks and balances for all these 48 different vaccines that they are experimenting with they are taking under the guise of coronavirus um, when they test you for coronavirus they are taking your blood and the FBI is running it through their, um, oh, it starts with a C. Centrifuge? No, their database, their okay. database to see if you've ever been in a crime. And then I just saw like a week ago, they said, well, since we've got your DNA, we're going to be searching your family background and things. They're really on a hunt. And of course, they want everybody's DNA in their database for various different reasons. Of course, they and then today, in today's Federal Register, they now HIPAA, you know, HIPAA was all supposed to be about privacy of our medical. They want to share that information. So that's in the Federal Register today. Um, I'm keeping an, an eagle eye on the Federal Register because it's like this night, nightmare come true. Um, 
also, so then they've got these 48 uh, different vaccines that they're experimenting with that do everything. Uh, they they don't supposedly they address the, the issue, but they also address things like non-communicable diseases. They also sterilize people. But the worst thing is this DARPA sensor. And that's got me really nervous about like how close we are to revelation because so i've been watching this uh hydrogel um for 10 years with darpa and they wanted to originally uh put chips in people's brain but they didn't want to have to do surgery and they did not want to have to do anything invasive like inject them or whatever in the brain so then, you you know, they just kind of kept up quietly on that research. But then during this coronavirus thing, they have decided that they are offering that as a sensor that will alert public health authorities that you are sick before you even know that you're sick yourself, before you get that scratchy throat, before you have a headache. And what they do is they take these, this nanoparticle hydrogel, they put it into a syringe they inject it into your body and there it starts it's a nano so it self assembles it grows itself and so there it goes in your body and it's growing it then fuses to your tissue so unlike the microchips in the past that could be removed this actually fuses to your body and then you become one with a com- you become a computer interface. You become one with the system. Now, if that doesn't sound like the mark or close to it, I don't know what is. It, it and- is the mark, and, and I'll tell you, it's interesting. There used to be a science fiction show called Stargate SG One, and this mm-hmm. invasive parasite did the same thing in the movie or the show. What you're saying, it, this is going to do. I find it interesting piece of predictive programming that I didn't pick up on until now. With, with regard to this, I mean, this almost sounds like they're working a lot off Jose Delgado's early work. Are you familiar with him? No. Okay. He was just a Spanish physiologist that did implants in a bull's brain and did bullfights. And he went from Yale University from Barcelona to ending up in Stanford Research Institute working for the CIA for 40 years. So, uh, and I used to show a couple of his early videos in my psychology classes to show how frequencies can impact behavior. Um, okay, so they're going to, what is the kickoff for this when they're going to put frequencies on us, which I'm assuming you could say 5G is part of that. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you have any knowledge? Because I'm hearing these rumors. One of the reasons they wanted the school shut down is so they could get in there and install the 5G. I think it's even broader than 5G. I think it's hospitals, it's banks. When I went to my bank last week, of course, you can't go into the bank any longer. You can only use the drive-up window. Oh. And there were signs saying that they were transitioning to what I saw on the Davos World Economic um, Forums, a new economy, a new way of doing business, a new, we are all going to have new identity cards coming on the other side of this. Is that ID 2020? Yeah, yeah, but it's, and it's combined, I mean, it has our medical, it has our everything, well, we all have dossiers, but this is like, 
super crazy dossier. Do you think they're going to do a preliminary purge where they come take out people like you and me and Steve? Yeah. Yeah. That's always, that's been in the plan. Anybody that is an influencer um, is, is on the lines, you know. Um, and how will they define an influencer? One that inspires other people to think independently, to live independently of the system. You know, of course, they want everybody part of the hive. And we are not part of the hive. And they don't like that. And they don't like people that can inspire other people. So that's a real threat to them. And they, you know, I've done a lot of uh, FOIA and public disclosure. Um, and I've got documents that say they really don't like people like us. Hmm. Well, I've kind of accepted that's the fate, but is, is this going to be instituted in the wave of what we're living in right now, in your opinion? I think things are, ha I, what I see, and I'm going to be talking um, for, at my Branson um, live stream uh, about the compression of time. And I mean, all of the listeners are aware that they, you know, you kind of feel like time's really going fast. And our grandparents talked about it, but now there's a real compression of time. So yes, I'm looking at this on in the very, very near future. When you say compression of time, are you getting into quantum physics and extra dimensional forces that are being brought forth? Yeah. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, quantum physics is my hobby. And uh, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately now because I know exactly what you're talking about. I had this discussion once with Art Bell. He called it the quickening. And, yes. And, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and I, listen, I have this thought almost every, my gosh, this week's over. We're already in April. Um, it, it's, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Why is the compression being brought forth? Why is there this quickening? Well, I think because there is this groaning in the supernatural, you know, you know, how long, Lord, how long can this evil continue, you know? And I think, I don't believe it's Satan. I believe that it is God compressing time and Satan ro roars like a lion seeking to devour who he can. Mm -hmm. and, you know, much uh, similar to the strangelets that attract matter and go to the core of the earth really fast. Satan's trying to um, grab as many people um, as he can to the pit of hell. And um, it's hopefully as a Christian, it's our job to inspire people to choose Jesus Christ yeah. and live eternally with him. I totally agree. I have a friend named Vance Davis. He used to be in the NSA. And amazingly, part of his training taught him, uh, and I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up, I promise, because Vance and I are still dear friends today after 28 years. Vance was taught that there was a war in the cosmos, and this war in the cosmos was lost by the bad guys. The bad guys wanted to capture the human soul as a retribution against God. And they came to Earth for that purpose that they haven't not been able to unlock the secrets of the soul. So they're trying to just change humanity. Vance told me this story in 1993 before the word transhumanism was ever used. And uh, he gave me a real rundown and it matches many of the things you're talking about. He talked about the quickening. 
he talked about the things that were going to happen in rapid succession. And he said in Christian theology, you'll refer to it as the tribulation. Do you agree with that? Yes. And actually, my dad was in naval warfare, and he looked at me when I was five, and he said, this is going to, and he explained some things, and he said, this is going to happen on your watch. And so you need to prepare. And he meant, he was an atheist himself. You know, he walked away from faith. But I took it, I accepted Jesus Christ at five. And so I took it that I was to prepare spiritually and physically, learn skill sets. And there wasn't really much interest for my skill sets until recently. And then you talk about the awakening of the people. People are really waking up and they want to learn how to do to survive and that is really exciting to me that's really interesting you hit it perfectly and i actually did a podcast on this about a week ago where i said some similar things not exactly but i talked about maintaining a christian balance of perspective i said you can be a christian under communism or under the republic but i said don't lose who you are no matter who governs you Uh, Of course, that could lead to a bad demise. My dad did intelligence work, and he worked with captured German scientists in the late 50s and early 60s. And he had deathbed revelations to me, and he told me to avoid this. They tried to recruit me into the Naval Academy to actually be trained as an intelligence agent. My dad put his foot down and said no. And he had a discussion with me several in 84, 85 as he was uh, terminal. He told me, he said, this is coming in your time, just like your dad told you. Mm-hmm. And he told me what the Germans told him. And this is kind of a fulfillment of old Nazi prophecy. And um, these Nazis led my dad to believe that there was an evil, malevolent force loose on the earth. And he was a Christian, but he said, I'm not sure it's satanic. And I almost think you're saying the same thing. There's, there's a human element to this, too that may be satanically inspired, but I mean, we really have to worry about the Bill Gates at his level. Yes, yes. And Soros, there's a, there's quite a number of the technocrats, right. yep. the technocrats. The technocrats, are, is it true that they're going to use AI to detect people with coughs and illnesses, like you said before, they are aware of it? I've heard that using drones, so that's for example. So that's the hydrogel sensor. So they okay. want every man, woman, and child to be injected with that, and then they will become one with AI. My gosh. Yeah. Um, this may be outside where you're speaking about, but I've been talking to people on grocery co-ops and owners of grocery chains and they're very careful not to go public, but privately what they've told me starts to paint a picture. And what I'm hearing is that, you know, last year over half the people ate out. So you can't just repackage food from restaurants and put it on store shelves. That takes a long time. They said over a year at least. And then they told me that we have 50% food shortage. They can't double their capacity inside their grocery stores like with freezers and so forth. And they said our reserves are being eaten alive and the supply chain chaos caused by China is going global and we're not going to get what we need and we're soon going to be starved to death. And I'm wondering, is this a starvation into submission? Yes, as a matter of fact, it was planned. Last uh, summer, I alerted uh, my followers that 
this was last year, 2019 was the first year of famine. It was zero fear. And people kind of thought it was a little nuts. But then uh, a UN report came out that the UN wanted to uh, start begin on the other side of this, um, begin to sell food at one one thousandth of a calorie. And DARPA wants to sell food by the molecule. So we are definitely going to not have the food access to the food that we have known in the past. So this is like kind of a carbon trading model for calories. Yes, um, and it's energy. Um, they figured it out. You're going to be allowed 1.2 ounces of laboratory generated or insect protein a week, and you are going to be allowed 36 grams of a carbohydrate, no sweets, no sweetener at all, every 21 days. And though that's what you're going to be allowed in the future. Does that keep you in a weakened state of submission? Yes. I mean, that's, that's, worse, I that's worse, than, worse than the concentration camps. I was they just going to bring that up. That's what they did in the yeah. labor camps to the Jews where they systematically starved them to death. Yes. Wow. And that's coming here. Yes, very soon. I asked, like, yeah, I asked the grocers, I said, what do, you, what do you think for timetable? They said, Dave, we, right now we have empty warehouses right now that should have food reserves. And they said, as early as this summer, we're going to see problems. Yes. Wow. And then here, if you go to Walmart or whatever, then they're banning the sale of seeds. I saw that, yeah. So here, you know, people that got a late start that, you know, all of a sudden they go, oh, there's no, no food in the store when the toilet paper started disappearing. Um, then now they're banning seeds that you can buy seeds to even grow your own. If that's not diabolical. Well, I'm hearing through organizations like HOAs that they're planning to ban home gardens. Is that true? Well, they've been doing that um, with increasing frequency. I mean, you can go to prison for um, having a laying hen or having a garden in the wrong location. Let's say it's in your front yard or in some covenants, you can't have it in the backyard. You can't grow any food. But you know what? You can be really creative, and there's a lot of really creative people on YouTube that do food forests, permaculture. So you can, yeah, maybe you can't grow a lettuce and a cabbage uh, because those are recognizable or a tomato, but there are other things that you can grow um, like auric or some, some of these other things that kind of look like natural habitat, you know, um, but they're actually food and medicine sources. So as we get into Revelation's prophecy, um, and we're kind of you've kind of painted a picture that most of humanity will go down with a whimper. Where do the wars come from that kill most of the people and would kill everybody if Jesus didn't come for the second time? I think initially those wars are going to be fought for things that people remembered, like sovereignty. Um, food, probably food, um, that power. Um, there's always going to be people that want power, um, maybe financial. When we change to the new economic currency, whatever that is, uh, the global governance, people talk that uh, crypto is just a stopgap to the next level, whatever that is. They didn't really define that. Um, but in the end, I think it will be the remnant standing up against um, the evil, the evil ones, um, 
I know I'm willing to put my life on the line for Jesus Christ. So, so you think that that 90% number will shrink and grow out of necessity while we're in the tribulation? Yes. And I also think that part of what we see in Ezekiel, it look, you know, they're talking about being on horses and different things. So it looks like maybe the power grid is taken down either through a solar flare or something else. And we have to go back to primitive methods of transportation and warfare. You know, along those lines, uh, Susan, Suzanne Collins, you know, who wrote the Hunger Games trilogy. And yes. I'm sure when you saw the first movie in the first 20 minutes, you were probably shocked that this was public, uh, as I was. But do you know that prior to writing that, she never had written anything other than a children's novel? And I'll give you one other coincidence. Margaret, Mar Margaret Hadix Turner. My son read this book in the 10th grade. It was called Among the Hidden. And in the book, they had the one-child policy where people, and this is a kid's novel, so spies are looking in your window looking for a second kid, and they're also controlling your calories. How prophetic. And that author had also never written anything but a children's book before that. I got a hold of her, and I asked her to come on my show, and she said, okay. And then she went and looked at what I do, and she said, I'm not coming on your show. <laughs> so it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the joke was up. And I think that she knew that I knew. Uh, they were handed those scripts as predictive programming, in my opinion. I don't know if you were aware of that or not, but that was absolutely stunning. Well, we're kind of at a natural break point here, and we're coming to the end. But I want to have people follow you. Your word needs to be going. It needs to be exemplified and, and put out there. Um, because you're already marked, and I'm marked, and I know that. So we're going to lose nothing. So how do people follow your good work so we can increase those numbers? So the best place, um, and the most dynamic, at least right now, is on my Patreon site, and that's Shepherd's Heart Farm, okay. and that's Shepherd's, plural, Heart Farm. And then also I have Shepherd's Heart life and that's where I write my blogs but I have not been uh, writing too much because I'm trying to get my Branson PowerPoint together <laughs> oh yeah I hear you and let me mention that too um, I'm highly encouraging people to attend Steve's virtual conference Steve Quayle uh, I've always come to Branson with Steve in the last several years in fact I was a panelist last year and uh, I'm so sorry that we can't gather but there's a virtual conference and you can get to it by going to stevequail.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, you just click Gen 6 and all the information's there. And our guest, Celeste, is going to be there. So you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, any other ways to follow you that we haven't mentioned? Um, I do have a Facebook page. I know that that's banned in some places, but um, it's Celeste Bishop uh, using my old name. Or Secret Montana Garden, if you just want to live vicariously through the life of a uh, organic farmer in the middle of the wilderness of the Rockies. That's cool. Um, you're welcome to join. And I, of course, I do tantalizing recipes. I give growing tips and the whole 10 yards. So Okay. And on that note, we are flat out of time. I want to thank you so much for joining us. This will appear on all our, our uh, venues that we go to. Thanks so much, Celeste, for joining us. Thank you. Everybody else, we'll be back after this. Again, thanks so much. Bye-bye.